just lost you. I don't know where you went. Oh, wait, you should be right there. Oh, did you just lose me? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Isn't that the funniest thing? Like, so, like, right when you're like, oh, we got to go live. And, of course, technology is like, let's just go ahead and SHIT the bed. Let's just go ahead right now. Hit pause. (laughs) It's like, hey, guys, we're live, but nothing's happening. (laughs) But you know what? You know, you know, Ava. Yes. Did you know that the mic is always listening? I know it's really bad. I know it's really a scary thing. It is, isn't it? But you know what's funny? When I say the mic is listening, I'm legit talking about my cell phone. Like it is legit listening to us all the time. But not only that, there is a show, I, I don't know, called The Mic is Listening. Are you ready to start it? I am. <laughs> all right, let's go. The mic is listening. 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 Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Mike is Listening show. I am thrilled today. I'm always thrilled for all of my guests because you know why? I personally enjoy and I'm I'm excitable. So personally excited to talk about our guest today and it's not going to be a man bashing thing. So for those that are like reading the title that you got to fight for your right to support women in tech, don't worry about it. This is going to be a really interesting conversation because um, we're going to be talking about from the perspective on supporting and embracing and celebrating the men that really help us women be more successful in business um, in ways that we maybe have not had the opportunity in the past. But before we get there, I do want to talk about something that um, a lot of people have been asking me lately. I might have talked about this in a previous episode, but don't worry about that. We'll just go ahead and repeat it because it's always a good thing to just get a reminder. And that is talking about to video or not to video. There are some folks who are that saying, should we just go ahead and say it? Sometimes people just have a voice for radio. And I'm not saying that people are ugly. What I'm saying is people just may or may not have that comfort level to be in front of the camera, to be able to gesticulate or not gesticulate, to, you know, have a, you know, comfortable image, to be their authentic selves in front of a video camera. And there is nothing wrong. If you're not, if you're that personality type that is not comfortable Perhaps it might better suit you just to do some audio content and then overlay it with video, maybe pictures of yourself where you do look comfortable and natural and not like this and like, hey, I'm talking and I don't want to upset anybody. You know what I'm saying? So uh, so my answer to everybody is this. Sure, videos out there. YouTube is hella popular, right? We've got Twitch, you know, where your people are streaming things. If it's not for you, don't force it. It's like forcing a bad relationship and trying to make it happen. In the end, it's not going to work out. And you're probably going to have some real constructive thoughts about yourself or why you made it let let your relationship last too long or why you still miss them. I'm kidding. I'm joking. I don't miss any of my exes, but they wish them well in life. But something to think about, though, too, though, is look, and I joke around with this is uh, my I'm going to pick a picture here reinforcing the fact that seriously, if you're not comfortable, don't have that deer in the headlights moment. That's right. Shout out for deer in the headlights. We're going to be reposting in January of our next, uh, of our new Monday live streaming, but don't worry, JD. That's my one, uh, my one promo for us. 
I know, totally unabashed, but it's okay. But you know what? You don't always have to have that look where you have no idea what the heck you're doing. Think of it this way. You can still have an audio format and a video, okay, where you take image stills of yourself and then you, you know, take that audio, strip it down, and now you have a podcast, right, an audio uh, formatted podcast. And from there, maybe you have an audience that likes to read. Maybe you have personality types where they're more, let's just say, um, introspective and they enjoy reading um, the words, you know, off a sentence. You can take all of those content and break it down in a way where you record once, and then you are just leveraging the same content and then uh, pushing it out across the different platforms to maximize your reach with your guests or audience that you are intending to speak with. So probably didn't say that in the most uh, effortless way, but there are tons of folks that uh, you know I work with that do video content, help you with your presence better. Patrick McGowan, shout out to you. Um, and of course, audio. I'm a podcast producer, can help you with that. And I've written, I know of a lot of amazing writers that can help you shape your story and shape your message in a way where they could be, I don't want to say ghostwriter, but they can help you uh, with writing your newsletter or your blog post, et cetera. So hit me up with any questions regarding that. So again, to summarize, to video or not to video, ultimately, don't feel pressure to do something because that's what's so popular right now. Do what's comfortable for you, and that's going to help you be more confident and authentic. Big, big thing. Be authentic to who yourself are. So on that note, I am super hella excited to welcome our wonderful guest here, Ava Helen, or Ava Helen, or Evia Helen. I'm trying, girl. I am so trying. So welcome, Ava. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So, okay. I, I Before we kick off anything, and this is why I believe life is good, I had a perspective back in the day where I got so upset at things. My EQ is probably not as high as it could be, but man, at the end of certain jobs, I wanted to burn those bridges hard. I want to just like, you know, set that lighter and, and get that match going and say, you know what? I don't care if I burn my bridge with relationships. I'm over this place. or I'm over this person, et cetera. Boy, am I glad I never did that because there was a mutual friend of ours, Peter Martinchik, who uh, better be listening, buddy, but he introduced us. I haven't talked to that man in like 15 years. And Ava, you have a longer relationship with someone like him. So before we can even get into your book and your background, I would like to understand how you met Peter because I want to share why this matters. So Ava, how did you meet Peter? So um, <clears throat> back in the mid nineties, um, you know, I had, um, I, so at the end of the eighties, I visited the United States with my parents and I said, never, ever am I going to go back to that place again. It's not for me. Um, but then in, in the mid nineties, um, I was trying to leave Sweden because I, you know, been there for a lot of years, grown up there and I still love to return and visit. Um, but I thought I want to go really far away. I had, uh, you know, a many, many reasons. And I was really choosing between Australia and, and, and the United States and, and ended up coming to Silicon Valley. Um, and I met Peter when we were working for families and helping families with kids out. And we were, um, you know, just part of the Swedish crew as the Swedes tend to kind of get drawn to each other. Um, and then we've been running sort of parallel lives. We both stuck around. We both stayed. 
and he um, came up in conversation. I was um, on the board of a company in Utah and um, the VP of Alliance is there. He was like, yeah, no, I met this guy named Peter. He says he knows you. And so that's just fairly recently. And that's kind of how we now pop back into each other's lives. And then he's been very supportive of the work that I'm doing. And then he thought of you and introduced us. So you never know. But then again, on that burning bridges or not, um, I think that, you know, sometimes perhaps we try to hang on to relationships that are not um, really worth as much as finding a new relationship. And sometimes we need to create space for those new relationships. Kind of like meeting you is awesome. That doesn't mean that I'm ignoring somebody else, but it means that I'm perhaps spending more time with you than this other person. And for us to constantly gain energy, constantly grow and constantly get energized, um, we need to have you know, people that can feed us, that, that we get energy from. Because if we're only giving and giving and giving and giving, we tend to get a little drained. Um, and I find that in the work that I'm doing now, I'm actually getting a ton of energy from the feedback that I'm getting from people around me. And I love that. And I think it, I think the ability to receive feedback and not just verbally, but even like non-communicative. And yeah, full disclosure, I'm on a huge body language uh, tip right now. So for me, it's actually being able to to see the words that I'm saying. And I'm looking at you right now, Ava, and I'm just thinking, okay, she's like thinking, hey, you're full of crap right now, girl. Or no, I'm right there with you. You know what I mean? Or I, I vociferously disagree with you. You know what I mean? It's it is interesting to to see that kind of feedback and interaction that before was in person and now it's a lot of it's virtual, yeah. you know, and getting that feedback back. So and it's and it's hard, you know. I, I I'll I'll get back to sort of how I started on the book and stuff, but it's the book is based on interviews. It's all interviews, and I actually did all the interviews just over the phone. On purpose, I didn't want these people to see me because like we were talking about before, like, can they read into my reactions or not? And I wanted to stay super neutral. And because I'd never done um, in-depth interviews before, you know, an hour each, there's a lot of facial expressions that can come through. So yeah. I just decided to do it all over the phone to get kind of as deep into their heads as I could without... Um, without exposing anything, just keeping a neutral face. I mean, you still have to do it on the phone, but it's not, you know, there's not like a little sneaky smile or anything like that that comes through. Right. No, well, I like my sneaky smiles, but it's usually because I'm sarcastic. But that's <laughs> another issue going on today. So, <laughs> so okay. Um, hopefully this is going on on uh, LinkedIn. I always have some problems getting notifications of our thing. But anyway, so... Eva, let me ask you this, because you interviewed 60 plus males because you wanted to, to change things up. So why did you write this book? And I want to add it to the stream so people understand that what we're talking about here is, um, oops, let me change this out here. Book for guys. Okay. And this is what the culmination of what we're talking about here, guys. This is why Ava is on here, because I want to understand why you wrote this book because to me it feels a little bit like a um how do you call it a labor of uh is it really a labor of love was it brought out because you're like no things need to change or you're like you know what darn it i want to celebrate the men that have been there for me throughout my career like what was the impetus for this well so the first thing was you know i've been running software companies for close to two decades 
And I have always been in sales. My entire career I've been in sales and I love selling and I'm a terrible consumer. Like I don't I like buying stuff. And so the first reaction when you're kind of done with your businesses and you're like, okay, what am I going to do now? Um, and I started this whole like networking with women and trying to figure out who is who and who does what and who says what. And, and then I went to all these events and there were no men there. And I thought, how can I get more men to these types of events? And then I started my own series of events, but throughout all of that work, which was like, you know, two, three years, I was like, I have nothing to sell. I need something to sell. And I was like, maybe I should do a software around diversity and inclusion. And there were all these little things popping up and I had some nice opportunities, but I was like, nah, that's not, I don't want to go back into software right now. I need something to sell. So I was like, okay, well, let me just write a book. Um, but at the same time, when I was doing the interviews, I really, it was almost like first during my events, which are called, were called Women in Tech Events for Guys, I was hearing these really great stories by men who were supportive and who are supportive of women and minorities. And there was a lot of negative talk following 2017, October, when the Me Too movement kind of woke up again. And, and there was so much bashing and so much shame and so much judgment. And, you know, <clears throat> there's a place and a space for those stories as well. We should not ignore them. Not at all. That's not what I'm suggesting. But what I am saying is there's also a place and a space for the good stories to come out. And I'm a very optimistic person. And so I'm thinking that if we get more men sharing their good and positive stories with more men, then more guys are going to go, Oh, he, if he can do that, so can I. And that is really like, I just wanted to bring um, an opportunity because I've worked in the tech industry for so long. So I know that most people are men or people of power, and they maybe use their power in one way or another. And so I want to give them an opportunity to use it in a good way, to use their power in a positive way, to lift people up, to support other people. And I quickly realized by talking to a lot of friends that have gone through trainings like diversity and inclusion trainings, um, sexual harassment trainings, uh, unconscious bias trainings, that they didn't feel like the message was speaking to them. So that is why once I had all this material, I looked for patterns and I found seven character prototypes. And for each one of these character prototypes that have different levels of awareness on this topic and different willingness and different actions they're taking, <clears throat> there's one message that's good for each person. So if you're a man and you're listening to this and you say, okay, well, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing or I don't know how I'm helping. Well, then you read about that character prototype that you identify with most. And then you say, okay, I'd want to do a little bit more. Then you read about what the character prototype above yours is already doing. So I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just going to suggest that you read what the guy above you is already doing. And if every single character out there in our tech world actually were to do this much more, then everybody would be moving up, up, up. And elevated together. That created. Yeah, no. So, okay. So let me give you... I mean, it's interesting that you, I love that you have these, you've developed these seven prototypes because I don't think of us as being, you know, put into a mold or put into a silo or where you would think you would be. But I think there's some validity to it to help you identify perhaps where you fit. And this is by no means a stereotype. This is not, if I'm understanding this correctly, by no means are you stuck in this 
prototype of if you're one of seven and you're number seven, it, it doesn't mean you can't move along to the different personality or different types, correct? The whole idea is that you just are not, <clears throat> if you're somebody who thinks that you're not supporting women and minorities, we as an organization, as consultants, as HR, as whatever, should not be challenging you to grow an inclusive team because you're going to be like, well, I don't know what that means. Right. But instead, we're going to try to find your motivation and we're going to say, oh, okay, have you ever supported anybody else? Yeah, you know, I supported my sister. Okay, great. So you know what it feels like to support somebody who's not you and who's somebody, you know, of the other gender in this particular case. Can you take that with you, that concept into work and just think about applying that to somebody on your team? That's the level that person is at. And then once they've done it a bunch of times, then they're ready for the next level. So okay. there's no, there's no limit to the evolution here. You know, every guy can climb all the way up the seven steps on the matrix, all the way to the very top and become experts and be comfortable doing this and, you know, have these conversations and talk. And I think, you know, getting rid of fear and building comfort and um, uh, confidence is the most important thing. Okay. So you've, you've, you've hit me, uh, you've struck a lot of different little like bullet points that are like in my head right now. I've worked with so many, I have to say, I've been very fortunate with my male managers that I've had have been very supportive, very, very proactive. Uh, quite frankly, it's not just pure lip service. They've been extraordinarily supportive. Um, one, I mean, dare say, uh, a client, I was in sales, I had a client in a meeting I was running the meeting. He was there to, you know, just support the the engagement. And the client, if I asked a question, the client would look to my boss to answer the questions and get affirmation from my manager, right? And at one point, uh, like I was, I was standing up in the presentation too, by the way. And at one point, my, yeah. manager, <laughs> my manager stopped and looked at the guy, and he's like, "Go look to see her. She's the one that's answering. The, she'll answer your question. I'm not answering this question." And it was interesting because. Um, he was very aware of what was going on. And just that little statement shifted the power dynamic in that room in an instant. Yeah. It went from being like these five gentlemen in the room talking to him or looking at him every time I would, you know, present something and they had a question to, they started ignoring him a little bit and they started asking me the questions. Yeah. And I mean, that to me was huge. You, you know. see how like a small gesture like that goes such a long way. And then he's done it. He has seen the shift. He's observed it. So then he's comfortable doing it again and again and again. And there's a couple of other guys of those five that are sitting in there that are thinking, Ooh, that was, that was pretty neat. And then they bring that concept with them and do the same. So that's what this is all about. I mean, it's just really enabling. Um, and I think, and, and also, like I said, getting rid of the fear of making a mistake. Like, Ugh. I think we have to allow for anybody who sits in a position of power to make mistakes when it comes to trying to support anybody else. It's okay to ask the questions. Um, and, you know, being a, a, a white woman, I have to ask if I'm interacting with women from other minorities, I have to sort of, I have to ask. And that's, it's a pretty cool spot to be in, to be a white woman, because obviously there's the white men that have, you know, more, um, not all of them, but many of them have more advantages than we white women have. And then we in turn have a lot more advantages than a lot of women from other minorities. And so it's really important that we kind of tune into both sides and then learn from 
from, yeah, from those imbalances. So let me ask you this then. Okay. So I just gave you an example of extraordinary support, right? I, like I said, I've been very fortunate with my, my career history, but what if you have the opposite where you've got, um, you know, someone that's like, look, um, look, it's all about your merit, who you are. I'm tired of hearing, you know, women need more support, blah, 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 roll their eyes. Like, how do you address someone that's like, you're good on your own merit, why should we make a or single out women or minorities, et cetera? Um, and why do I have to be the one to support it in that context? Have you, how do you address someone like that? Well, I don't know about all other industries, but as far as tech goes, it's um, so somebody like that is motivated by very different things than somebody who's trying to change the culture inside the company or either even on their team. Somebody like that may be motivated by statistics, by facts. And so there's a couple of things that I'm thinking about. One is, you know, we are hearing now that in 2025, 1.2 million tech workers are going to be missing in action. Um, there's just not going to be enough technical workers. So companies that are smart or that are educating that kind of group that are thinking that the pie is only this big and it's not going to be growing, you need to st start talking about numbers and statistics and talk mm -hmm. about women and minorities as an untapped resource and perhaps talent hiring and looking to other places than you're used to, just not your, your regular network when you're hiring people, but really looking to expand that to pull more people in so that in three years from now, you're kind of ready so that we won't be 1.2 million tech workers short, maybe only half of that. Um, so yeah, maybe not personal, right? This okay. guy who sits at the bottom of the matrix who we call Richard, don't make it personal with him. It's all about business. Interesting. So back it up with facts um, and present it in a way where there's, I hate to say it, but not an emotional perspective, but factual perspective. Yeah. That's probably what's going to interest them. Right, right, right. And then the other thing is, you know, as we're hearing about the great, uh, uh, you know, people leaving their work, the great resignation, and now the great migration, like everybody's talking about that. And so how does that tie into this? Well, it means that, you know, even somebody like Richard needs to understand that the motivators of job security and the traditional things that we've had before are not going to be enough for him if he's a hiring manager to get more uh, people into the workplace and retaining them he kind of has to start thinking about like, okay, how can I actually change this? How can I, um, how can I become more engaged and take more responsibility for actually keeping my workforce happy? And that's why, like when you're at Richard, the, the lowest level and you're climbing to Cree, which is the next level, there's very small increments of things that you can do, but finding the right motivation, and then maybe reaching out to one single person initially um, and having a conversation with them about what it's like for them to work in this place and, you know, what would make you want to stay and things like that. So what's striking me about this is it is such an internal dialogue that you're having within yourself in order to grow and mature, if you will, in this context or in, actually with life in general. Now I think about it, a lot of introspection. So is your book kind of like a, 
well, it's a guide, but is it something where you do, you, do you give exercises or is it something like, Hey, consider this, like how exactly do you do it in a way where you're not telling them what to do the reader? Um, but you're kind of nudging them along. If I consider X, Y, Z. Okay. So once you figured out, so let's assume that you're Cree. So first we have at the very top, we have the advocates and we have three, three kinds of allies and then the chauvinist at the bottom. <laughs> if you're one of the allies, if you're Cree and you're aspiring to do a little bit more, you want to climb to become Al, who's the next guy up. Um, and there's a lot of Crees and Al's. I would say majority of people are Crees and Al's because there's still a little too high of a fear factor as to like, what can you actually do? So then you read about what Al is already doing in the areas of management, leadership, and culture. And though that's all just quotes and short stories from the people I interviewed. So I'm actually sharing with real names and company names and so on, uh, what people are doing, what they've told me that they're doing. So I have not made it up. I'm just, you know, quoting them. And then at the end of each chapter, there's a, just a one sentence summary. And then so you can go back to that and say, oh, OK, well, you know, in leadership, maybe I can do this um, if I want to become Al. And then the idea is obviously that you practice. You need to do it multiple times. You can't just do it one and think that you're a, a fully baked Al and ready to climb to Memo because that's a big step because that's when you become a mentor. Um, so, yeah, there is. Um, but it's really the introspection or the reflection, I think, like you're saying, is really important because you'll read about what somebody else is doing. And the, I want you to be able to say, oh, he, if he can do that, so can I. Or I've already done that. Maybe read about what the guy above you is doing. And if you're not comfortable at all, then you go down a level. Mm. And, and But see, again, that is as competitive. I mean, I'm competitive. So if I'm like, if I'm Richard level and I'm like, nah, I'm more of a Al level. And the reality is, no, you're really a Richard. Um, is that even, <laughs> I, I guess... Can you but you know what that's that cool. you're an owl, but you're really a Richard? Like, how do you get yourself out of it? Like, because no one wants to think of themselves as a Richard, you know? No, but the thing is also like, we can't judge anybody who's a Richard. Like, if you're a Richard, you're Richard for a reason. Maybe you had, uh, you know, bizarre relationships at home. Maybe your first manager like totally messed you up. Maybe you mm -hmm. had a weird experience at college. I mean, there could be a million reasons why you end up being a Richard and why you think you don't care about these things but I'm not gonna judge you. You're fine, you're totally cool. Just start right there where you are and then see what Cree is doing. And if you're already doing all of those things, great, climb to the next level, you know, read what Al is doing. So, and then the idea is obviously, you know, once this becomes more of a common language and people in the meeting room, so like the meeting that you were talking about earlier, if you're saying, um, you know, your boss points out, you know, let's make sure that we hear what she is saying. She's the one who has the answers. Then the other guys were like, oh, that was such a Samir thing to do. You know, so the, the idea is that we all of a sudden start getting a lingo around these guys on the matrix. And then we can use them comfortably in meetings without judgment. Okay. You've just peaked another little thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not meant to stump you, but it just really popped in my head, and I didn't know how to answer this. And I was talking to an individual, and um, and I, I don't mentor like in the context of like I don't do like a formalized mentorship, but you know when you're in the industry for twenty odd years, you're gonna have a lot of 
professionals up and coming ask you for advice on things, right? Yeah. And this other individual had a mentor, has a mentor. I don't know if it's still a mentor or not, but uh, this uh, she indicated that this mentor had told her the reason why you're encountering a lot of issues with peers of your group, especially in leadership, is because they view you as competition and you have to treat it as competition. And I was thrown aback by that statement of your competition. Is that good advice to give from, a, I guess, any stage of career, but I guess an executive level position because the, the positions are less, right? So there is a little bit of competition to fight, but is that good advice? But were they peers? I mean, were they supposed to work side by side? And he was basically saying that your peers are seeing you as as com competition because they were all trying to get into the same role. Were, was there actual competition about something tangible? We'll say yes in this context, like a, a job, like, yeah, an executive leadership role. Yeah, I think that's really hard. I mean, you need to know who you're talking to. If the person that you're talking to is super competitive, then I think it's okay to say that. I think if you try to explain why people were behaving in a certain way, and that was because he sees them as super competitive and he just wanted to make her aware of that, then I also think it's okay to say that. I mean, it's usually, you know, like you and I have talked about, it's easier to put like the real words on things versus like wrapping them up and trying to pretend there's something else. And if there was actually competition, maybe it was the most straightforward thing to do. What he should have said as a follow-up is like, are you comfortable with that? Or um, is there anything that I can do together with you as your mentor to have these comp these uh, conversations one-on-one -on -one so that once you end up in that competitive environment, you're more comfortable. So he can't just say this is a competitive environment and leave her be. And she's like, well, okay, what am I supposed to do now? But yeah. rather take it to the next level and offer your help because that's what a mentor is supposed to do. Build that environment of safety and trust so that she can actually practice to become more competitive if that's what she needs to be to climb and compete against these guys. Got it. Oh my God. It, that was like the perfect answer. And you know, the, we can keep talking all day long, but I want to be respectful. So Ava, for those that want to get a hold of you, um, how can they get a hold of you? So um, you've got the scrolling thing. EQ Inspiration is a great place to go. Um, my book's available there, but LinkedIn is typically where I live. So you can, anybody can ping me on LinkedIn and, uh, either follow me or ask for a connection. And it's just my first and my last name. That's it. And by the way, first and last name that, by the way, I brutalize on uh, pronouncing it correctly. And you know, what's so sad is that um, I have spent time uh, in Sweden, not a lot of time, just a week, but man alive, it is so hard to pronounce some of those words. Let me tell you. So I have nothing but profound respect. So thank you very much <laughs> for being patient with me. Yeah. Tack. Tack so much. <laughs> so uh, on that note, everyone, thank you so much for, uh, you know, joining us, Ava. I really want to encourage and support anyone that is interested in how do I be a better advocate? Am I doing the right things? I myself want to read it because sometimes I feel like I'm not doing enough either as a female and I'm well aware of the challenges. So I'm really interested to see your perspective on that as well. And of course, by reading it, I also think that we can help our partners uh, understand things and you know, you're right. Maybe I might just, you know, start leaving those books at meetings. Just leave your book behind for some of these individuals. 
There you go. You can't get more viral than that. So <laughs> on that note, everyone, thank you for listening to The Mic is Listening. We shall see you next week. Take care. 